Womenology podcast. I have a guest co-host today because Sarah's off gallivanting in Germany with her husband. Today's co-host is Heidi B. Heidi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. We have to, you know, let's break the fourth wall a bit and explain to people that we spent, would you say close to four hours the other day? <laughs> it was it was a lot of time. I know you better now today than I did at the beginning of the week because of the time we spent together on Monday and trying to troubleshoot technology. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I, it was all, I think, just great timing that I received a press kit from Heidi last week and Sarah had explained that she was going on vacation and she wasn't going to be around and I knew I'm like I need a I need a guest co-host because I could do the quickie dating questions but my schedule was just so jammed that I wasn't really able to get many in and I said I really want a show and then out of nowhere the universe delivers and I get a press kit from Heidi B and Heidi B is an empowerment coach for women mostly for single women specifically for single women who have some sort of negative or unhealthy dating patterns. Yeah. Would you say that's accurate? That is like the most succinct way to put it. Yes. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I am a speaker, author, and relationship expert. And my first book, uh, Relationship Ready, How I Stopped Fucking Randos and Started Cupcaking My Soulmate, Mm -hmm. is available on Amazon, is forthcoming on Audible. Uh, I sent a copy of that to you. So you got to read a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. And um, I left my cubicle life about a year, almost a year and a half ago to pursue my passion of helping women identify and change painful patterns in their relationships. Um, And I feel like I'm uniquely qualified to do that because if you read the book, which you have, uh, you know, all my shit's on blast. (laughs) I have a lot of empathy for um, choosing the same wrong guy over and over and over again. So I like to, my passion in life is helping women choose differently. You know, that it's what you do is very similar to what I do as far as my, uh, my coaching, because I have Mm -hmm. clients that have a history of trauma and they are working through that to try to, to sort of reintegrate into back into their, their regular lives. Right. And then I have people, I have singles, that mostly single women, but for dating, I work with single women and single men. And I have a lot of single women who are experiencing the same thing over and over again uh, and are slowly uh, coming, figuring out why they keep doing this thing. And I've mentioned this, there's a, it's a, it's called repetition compulsion. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. And it's, it, it sounds is, like something I've done. <laughs> it's definitely something that I've done. And it's about just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And, and really not aware why, aware of why you're doing it, but it has to do with past trauma. Yeah. Well, and, and what I love so, about your work is that you're qualified to help people with trauma and you go kind of that level up. And the work that I do, I don't have a trauma certification or qualification, but I help people kind of uncover some patterns. And some of them may be a consequence of trauma and some of them may not be, right? Some patterns are just like you're blind to them and you just do them without even realizing some patterns are patterns that we engage in to protect ourselves um, because mm. of a past trauma or something, you know? Mm-hmm. I do. So we're going to get into 
the the meat of this show the theme is really um how we were fucking train wrecks (laughs) (laughs) and uh, and uh, our path you know to uh, to a more healthy way of living and and it's it's a process. It's not like, hey, yay, we're not train wrecks anymore. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> it's a process. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if only it happened that fast that like one day you were a train wreck right? and the next day you were like, oh, I'm so serene. I mean, and that yeah. for me is like the the payoff of really what has been years of hard work is like that I have a little bit of serenity and more, even more importantly than that, I have some sanity in my life today, which um, back in yeah. the old days, in the train wreck dating days, I really didn't have much sanity in my life. So um, yeah, I can't wait to get into yeah. all of it with you. I'm very excited about this. Uh, so before we move on, how was your day? This is what I usually, this is what I, how I start with Sarah. How was your day, Heidi? I had an awesome day. I know that you, you and I talked a little bit earlier this week and I know you have a dog, Luca. Is he there with you now? Uh, she is. She very much is. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Hi, Luca. <laughs> I have two puppies. I have a, a year old yellow lab named Lemon and a four-year-old Great Dane mix named Henry. Yeah. So I kind of always start my day by walking them mm-hmm. just to like get grounded. You know, so much of being an entrepreneur and being, you know, doing coaching or like stuff, being in business for yourself. I feel like, you know, for me, I like can wake up, like wake up, my eyes open and my brain is spinning. I'm already thinking about a million things I have to do. Uh And so I just love that I have this daily practice of walking the dogs because really all that stuff, I can't do any of it until I take them out and walk them for 40 minutes. Yeah. uh, You know, I did the same thing with uh, Luca this morning. I woke Mm -hmm. up around 530. I'm typically up like you. I'm up at five. 5 30 and my mind's gone <laughs> and it's just work, yeah. work, 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 because I have so much that I need to get in. I like to get to the gym and I, you know, I have, sometimes I have to walk a couple dogs or I need to write mm-hmm. and I'm much more focused and clear in the morning. So I yeah. took Luca to the dog run. Now Luca is, and, and the reason why I've, I've become so like, why I was so passionate about and interested in walking dogs is because uh, Luca was, uh, she was overbred mm. and she was just dumped at a at a shelter so she had a bunch of puppies mm-hmm. and they were just taken away from her and then once they didn't need her anymore they got rid of her oh. yeah so uh i noticed one day that uh we were getting into the elevator and there was a dog walker in the elevator and he had multiple he had three dogs oh, on a gosh. leash and now luca is like the easiest, chillest dog, but she when she saw that, she wouldn't move. She would not get in that elevator. Oh my gosh. Can I ask what kind and of dog she is? She's a pit mix. Okay. Like Cutie. pit terrier, boxer. Yeah, she's beautiful. And it th- that's when it really hit me that uh, dogs suffer trauma and they mm. suffer PTSD and they're triggered. Yeah. And so that's when I started doing some research about dogs and trauma and dogs and PTSD. So smart. And, and why I said, Oh, now I'm going to walk dogs because I really want to walk. I want to, I guess I I get very attached to the, the ones that, uh, that need some help, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I project a a lot of my (laughs) own stuff onto these dogs. But in any case, I took Luca to the dog run today and you know, she's, I'm the mom of the anxious of the awkward kid. Mm-hmm. You know, she's very anxious and she's very shy. Mm-hmm. And but more than anything, you know, to be overbred mm-hmm. means she was just stuck somewhere with a bunch of dogs. Uh, 
bunch of male dogs. Probably so scared now around groups of dogs. And terrified. Yeah. Terrified. Oh, baby. And yeah, and you know, as some as a survivor of sexual trauma myself, I could I recognize mm-hmm. that in her immediately. And I'm trying to I'm trying to work with her to help her get through that. And that's that's just all about consistency and repetition and, and just letting her know, like, I got you. I yeah. see you, I got you. I'm with you. Such beautiful. So that's like really beautiful. Yeah, she's. I I just I don't know. I think, I think it it helps me heal a little bit and helps me, um, work through my own trauma. I think my own my own history of trauma. You know, there's today. I pick. There's this one dog that I noticed. Now I walk for Wag, and so in the app these dogs will show up the walks the owners will call in and are put into the yeah. app oh i need to walk at 10 a.m and then we show up in the app and so i would notice that this one dog always sat in the app for a really long time and that's uh-huh. very rare i was like okay so either the owner is an asshole <laughs> or that there's something wrong with the dog yeah. because we write notes we write like sure. a report card afterwards yeah. and if we, you know someone doesn't tip or whatever yeah we we Talk say hey it. this person doesn't tip yeah and then, right, so I said, there's something up with this dog, and I have to know what it is. So I accepted one of the walks, mm-hmm. and I got there, and as soon as the dog came out the door, I, it was pretty obvious. Yeah. You know, he kind of has these, like, these tumors. Mm-hmm. And Luca has one, mm-hmm. but this dog has, like, tumors all over his head and his back, Aww. and he limps, and he's going blind, and he shakes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I just... It it just broke my heart when I saw it. Yeah. So I, I started walking him more and more and more. And I, as over time, I started to notice. And I'm very engaged with dogs when I walk mm-hmm. them. You know, it's really about talking to them and just making sure that there's a that they that they I, I don't just like take them off for a walk and take them home. Like I'm it's it's a thing right. for me. I engage them. I talk to them. So over time, I started noticing that this dog wasn't shaking as much and he was walking and there was just there was a change in him and i was i always take pictures because you have to write a report card afterward and deliver a picture and uh i there was one picture then i uploaded to facebook and someone said wow he really loves you and i thought and i really looked at the picture and there was it was it was a, an expression of true happiness. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, God, it just made me feel really good. So yeah. I pick him up today. I take him and I, you know, come back from the walk. And the owner said, you know, last week you gave me your card. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I do with this? And I said, well, I, you know, if you want to um, make sure to book me, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that I, I take him for a walk. Um, you can text me so that I'm, I know you put the walk in and I look for it in the app. I'll, I'll be refreshing the app. Sure. And she said, oh yeah, she goes, I definitely. And I said, plus, you know, you, it's, it's just better to have the same person mm-hmm. with a dog. Consistency. And she said, right. She said, oh, she goes, no, I, I, I really want you to do it. She goes, I think you're wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. And, I think that's so important. Right? Mm-hmm. Like the acknowledgement and just acknowledging like, hey, yeah. you bring value to this. You bring yeah. value to my life. You make a difference. 
Well, and like there are so two things about that story that I really that really kind of landed for me. One is like you know our older dog, my older dog Henry, is a rescue, and I do mm-hmm. really feel like it's like you know who rescued who, right? Did he rescue us mm-hmm. or did we rescue him? Right? There's so much healing that really goes both ways. And then the second thing is I we used Wag for a while um, when my husband and I were both working uh, more traditional you know, nine to five. And I just, I always have to give wag walkers like mad props. I know my, our dog is like an 80 pound dog and he barks. He's a great Dane. So he's protective and he barks Mm. at everything. I just can't even imagine what it's like to go into a stranger's house and have the dog start barking at you and like, keep your cool and like take your dog, not only just take the dog for a walk, but like develop an actual connection. It's just like, it's a big deal. So, I mean, I'm just like, you are doing something I would, I don't know. I do. I also struggle to even walk two dogs at once, but I do it, you mm. know, but, um, but it's, I mean, it's really good work that you do. It's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it's very, it's terrifying to go into these people's houses and uh, because you just don't know, you just don't know. You don't know. You just don't want right. to kill. Is the dog going to be in a crate? Is he going to be hanging out just like in the living room? Is, you know, like you don't want to kill the dog and you don't want to lose the dog. I'm like, this is the, this <laughs> for some people, this dog is all they have. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I have a client like that, that it's yeah. the, the dog is all she has and she's become very dependent on me. And you know, it's it, like, I, I, it, I, I have formed bonds with people yeah that and as someone who's always been very closed off and um who self-isolated quite a bit mm-hmm. it's this has been such a huge thing for me to go out and to bond with other people so yeah. um what i realized when this woman was like i want you to do it is she must have noticed a change in the dog too yeah Undoubtedly. Right? so that just makes me feel really 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 good yeah that's and, awesome uh, that's like a double gold star yeah so that was my day uh so this week this week we had the oscar nominations the very underwhelming oscar nominations right this is just not a great year boring boring (laughs) boring and i'm just absolutely heartbroken that taron edgerton wasn't nominated for rocket man oh my god it's just gonna be awful to be like nominated for all those awards to win one and then the big one comes and they and they snub you and it's just oh well and so much of it so much of it is related to who you know and who likes you and who doesn't like you and who's on the voting panel and what they think of you and it sounds crazy i mean because i'm in portland oregon i've never lived in la i've never lived in new york and i've never worked in entertainment but I did watch BoJack Horseman, the animated series on Netflix, and they spent an entire season where their main character was nominated for an Oscar, kind of like blowing, you know, kind of like blowing it up about how the Oscar nom process works. I mean, they did it in a satirical way on a cartoon, but there was like a lot of truth yeah. to it. So anyway, I feel for Taryn because that film I loved the Elton John biopic. What was it called? Oh, Rocket, Rocket Man. Man. I loved it. I thought it was so great. And it like renewed my interest in Elton John music. I have like a whole Spotify channel of the music from the mm. film on my phone, you know, going. I just, I, I agree. That is a real bummer. Yeah. And what's, you know, I follow him on, on Instagram and he hasn't been on Instagram since mm-hmm. for like three days. And you, you just, it just has to be so awful. Like I just feel terrible for him, who I don't feel terrible for. <laughs> Who don't you feel terrible for? J-Lo. Let's get into this. J-Lo. I don't feel bad for J-Lo. J-Lo. Uh, 
And sorry, Jalo. Sorry, Jalo. And a lot of people <laughs> it, like the, the Oscars. Everyone was, oh, she's going to be nominated for an Oscar. And, and I, in my in my head, I'm like, nope, nope, no, she's not. She's not because, like you just said, it really is a popular popularity contest. Right. And didn't you say that she like gave an interview early in her career where she just burned everyone? She did an interview for Movie Line magazine in like 95. And Mm. I mean, I bet she's kicking herself for that. uh, I I think she is. And she just it was scorched earth. It was, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, I I can't imagine what it's like to be only to be famous because of who you're dating because she was with Brad Pitt at the time. And you know, Cameron Diaz, but like models aren't actresses. And she even made it like a little dig at Selma Hayek. And, uh, you know, basically talking like she's just so much better than all of them. And Rosie Perez kind of in her memoir, uh, Rosie Perez, who was the, choreo- uh, the choreographer for In Living Color, who oh, worked right. with JLo yes. because JLo was a fly mm-hmm. girl. Rosie mm-hmm. Perez kind of, uh, she, you know, she kind of uh, confirmed that JLo was a really big asshole. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, I guess there has to be like some level of narcissism. You have to be some shade of narcissist to be a Hollywood, to be an A-list Hollywood actor. Would you say, would you agree with that? Um, I don't know that I agree with that. Um, I think you have to be a narcissist to be the type of artist or that she is. Uh, Mm. I, I feel like, and I was always such a staunch, like advocate of J-Lo. And, and I do love, I I wish I had her discipline. I wish I had her, um, you know, her focus. Uh, But in the past, Mm -hmm. like two years, ever since she's gotten with A-Rod, she's become insufferably vain. (laughs) And all I'm starting to see now is a woman who's turning, who's turned 50 and who is terrified of like aging. That's all I see. Yeah. And becoming, I think even more about becoming irrelevant. And so I feel like the, the best way she can think of to stay relevant is to be like, look at my body. I'm, it's like you guys talked, you already talked about this, but it's like, look at my body. Mm. I'm 50 and this is my body and I'm still relevant. Oh, and I'm also relevant because I date this baseball guy and like, we're relevant, I swear. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, trust us. Trust us. We're, we're, we matter. And I, mm. you know, I, when I saw the movie and I knew something was up when this movie premiered. And like mm-hmm. out of the gate, everyone's like, "Oh, Oscar buzz, Oscar buzz!" And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Typically, you hear some, you hear some rumblings of, oh, this mm-hmm. is what they're saying about this movie coming out, blah blah blah.'" Now, this movie was filmed in, like, it, it was filmed in April. It was filmed in a month, and it premiered at the Toronto mm-hmm. Film Festival, which is a big film festival. It premiered in September, and and, and something about that, and then you find out that J Lo and Benny Medina, her manager, produced it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, mm, this just feels like a vanity project this feels like a yeah i'm gonna get my oscar for this and yeah, well, uh, i do think that Taylor wants to egot but i think she's gonna end up having to get her oscar on the um song side on the sound yeah the soundtrack category not on the actress although i will say i mean just a quick sidebar i'm not opposed to j-lo being nominated for an academy award but like i don't know that her playing a stripper is like that much of a stretch as far as like stretching her acting chops, you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know, like I would maybe, I want to see, her. I could, I could get on board with her being nominated for an Oscar where she plays a role where like, I never would have imagined JLo playing it. Yeah. It, it, it was, it was a great performance for her, but it didn't blow my doors off. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really annoyed that Scarlett Johansson 
got two nominations because she's just incredibly tone deaf <laughs> and she's you know She's, she's another made one. a lot of missteps lately. Speak, I mean, being tone deaf, like she made a horrible misstep accepting the role in what was the ghost of a, oh my gosh, the one where it's like ghost. an Asian graphic novel. Yeah, she, and she, accepted, yeah. she took the ghost role of yeah, Ghost in a Shell. Um, yeah. And she's also said that she loves Woody Allen and she would work them again. And <laughs> oh, girl. You know, her team's like, Ixnay on the only way. Right, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> You just know people are like standing outside of wherever she is and just going, oh, fuck. you know, like, well, calling up the wife. Yeah, I'm not going to be home. I'm going to have to be writing up press releases yeah, for the next day and a half. For the rest of the day. <laughs> so uh, she got nominated for A Marriage Story and Jojo Rabbit. I, I didn't see this movie. Apparently it's very good. A Marriage Story, uh, a, you know, um, this is based on, now the director of A Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach, he used to be married to Jennifer Jason Lee. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Jason Lee is an actress and someone from my generation, you'll know her from uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's right. And she's not uh, to be confused with Robin Wright Penn. That is a different <laughs> accomplished actress with three names. Right. <laughs> she was also in Single White Female. Mm-hmm. She's great. But Scarlett Johansson is playing this actress. And apparently um, Jennifer Jason Lee wasn't thrilled about this. Oh, interesting. <laughs> So uh, I'm I'm annoyed that J Lo that uh, ScarJo ScarJo J Lo fuck it I just I'm annoyed that Scarlett Johansson um, because Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson does the Joey Tribbiani smell the fart acting. Did you ever notice that? <laughs> yes, there is something that is like not really. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm I agree with you. And again, like I don't know the last time I saw her play a role where I was like not like. Oh, that's obviously, that's just Scarlett Johansson being Scarlett Johansson. It's like the same thing with, um, right. not to derail the conversation, but who's the guy? Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman is in like, he's cast in everything. He, you know, he's in Ozarks right now. He's in a bunch of stuff, but he's always in uh, Arrested Development, but he's like always just playing Jason Bateman. Like it's. He's, he's uh, he always plays the same yeah, character. Yeah, he's always playing and this you know, like erotic white guy in his forties or what? Like, okay, come on. Like, could you just get paid to be somebody who's not you? Be, yeah, be somebody else. Speaking of be somebody else, this morning I watched a clip from The Morning mm-hmm. Show, that Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon yeah. show on iTunes, and holy shit, it's just Rachel Green, but with That's swear true. words. That's true. I was wondering if you were going to check that out, uh, because the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, it's actually just an explicit Rachel Green. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. And, you know... Jennifer Aniston's another one who just like plays the same character over and over and over and over and over again. And she's always being her post friends career. Like she's had some, a couple of good movies, but for the most part, all we ever heard about was who she's dating. That's true. And then she did have like a lot of success in rom-coms, right. Which kind of feeds into the same, you know, she was in a bunch of romantic comedies that all kind of, even if she wasn't, if we weren't talking about who she's dating and who she is because of who she's dating in real life, then we're talking about her as a, in a Mm rom-com as like the primary gal, you know, who's getting her heart broken or whatever. And, um, I do actually like the morning show, but I agree with you. It's not as, it's not a stretch. Again, it's not a show that's like a stretch for anyone that's on it. I just, I'm tired of, um, the narrative around Jennifer Anderson about how the baby and Brad and this, I'm tired of the narrative, but I'm more tired of the fact that people don't seem to realize that she perpetuates that narrative because she can go into any interview and her, her agent, her publicist could say, don't ask her anything about Brad. Don't ask her anything about baby. She's not going to answer it. 
She right. perpetuates this because she knows it keeps her in the news cycle. Yeah, it keeps her relevant. Keeps and it's relevant. kind of in the same vein of like, um, no press is bad press. Right, right, exactly. So yeah. she wasn't nominated for an Oscar, but uh, I just uh, wanted to say how much she irks me. Um, <laughs> Laura like Dern got nominated for uh, A Marriage Story. I love Laura I love Laura Dern. I have to say, I my radar, the, A Marriage Story was not on my radar. As I understand it, it's a Netflix-produced movie. Is that correct? Yeah. It's a Netflix production. Yeah. I just saw it on my Netflix menu the other day and after we had talked. And I'm like, I think I might have to watch A Marriage Story just to get up to speed because it's got so many nominations. Yeah. I do love Laura Dern. Adam Driver was nominated as well. And I'm fine with that. Like, whatever. Fine with that. Um, I'm, I'm really irritated that... Joaquin Phoenix is wasn't just nominated, but he'll probably win for a role that already won people awards, and it's just yeah. But there's I'm also something so unsettling about the Joker premise and like how closely it hits home with like all those crazy incels and like mm-hmm. you know like the uh, toxic masculinity that exists out there. And then on top of that, just in his personal life, like Joaquin, Joaquin, how do you say his name? Oh my gosh, Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix just seems like very unstable anyway. Like I just get like such a weird unstable vibe from him that I'm like, I'm really actually put off by interviews with him and like his, his work in general. Um, so I did not see the Joker cause I felt like I do not need to um, expose myself to toxic masculinity and give them my dollars, you know, like give them right. my money. Um, but I, I, that's like, it's pretty underwhelming. Like I don't, I am not pulling for him. Yeah, and I think people seem to forget that uh, he's friends with Casey Affleck, mm-hmm. and he was around at that time that Casey Affleck was directing the film where he harassed yeah. one of, you know, one of the the women on set, one of the yeah. part of the crew. I like Joaquin was, Phoenix was part of that. Yeah, that like, I don't know that Joaquin Phoenix on. was was participating in the in the harassment, but uh, he was there. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I don't know. That right there, I'm just I I, I side eye Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, who else? Best actress. Oh, I was wondering. Oh, oh that'll go to. Oh, you go first. Renee Zellweger. I will. I'll, I like her. I do too. I hope she wins. Fine <laughs> with that. Whatever. Yep. Have you seen? You know, the... she got a lot of. No, uh, no, but that's a movie that I will watch just because I like Renee Zellweger and. You know, she got a ton of shit because she got some kind of cosmetic surgery, mm-hmm. and um, it, she got she got some years ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought years ago she looked much different, and now I feel like she she looks like she used to look. Mm, maybe she had it reversed or undone so, or something. I don't know what it was, and and you know, just the, that the amount of talk around it. Uh, I felt really bad for her about that because it's when an actress changes her looks like that, like when Meg Ryan blew up her yeah. lips and got cosmetic surgery that can end a career mm-hmm. for women of course mickey oh, Rourke can get all kinds of jobs oh, his face is fucking completely it looks like a picasso painting but you know a woman gets a, a tiny bit of an like an eye tuck or whatever and her career's over well i will say i'm on team renee i love renee zellweger i have loved her i think probably the first movie i saw her in was one of my all-time favorite movies uh empire records which is kind of a lost a late 90s or mid 90s kind of cult classic i love empire records and she's in that with Liv tyler and that is like such a one of my favorites actually i have a 12 year old stepdaughter and i'm like trying to decide if that movie is just about she might just be old enough for it now and i'm really thrilled about about brad pitt 
was nominated, he'll probably win. Yeah. This will be his year of winning. Good for him. Congratulations. Has he won an Oscar before? No, he's been nominated before a few times. Yeah. He'll win for this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, and then Quentin Tarantino will win for the best director or something, right? Well, it'll be, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I think Parasite is going to, I think Parasite is going to pull out, the, the, Parasite's going to win one of the big, one of the bigger categories is my prediction. It's either going to win direct or a picture. Your picks are out there. They can set the lines and we're good to go. I love it. I like talking Oscars a little bit. I wish I knew a little bit more about what was going on, but it's like we said at the beginning, it's so, it's also underwhelming that yeah. I'm not surprised <laughs> That I don't know much about what it, all the actors and actresses. Bring. Yeah, there's uh, there's some tips for your Oscar pool uh, at work. All right, <laughs> so go. let's get into the meat of this. Now, you said, like you said, you sent me a copy of your book, and I spent a greater part of the weekend reading it. And a lot of this resonated with me because, yeah. especially the stuff about um, wanting to win as far as going after availableness. Yeah. So I will tell you, I, my, my whole life really from the time I started dating, which I think I kind of, you know, I started chatting online, the AOL became a thing in my teens, you know, my pre kind of tween teen years, 13, 14, 15. And so I started chatting online with men or, or boys, probably boys. I mean, at that stage, of course, we know today that like anonymous chat rooms are like a natural predatory place. I think probably we knew that back then too, but like I didn't, I, as a 13 or 14 year old, I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just really fun to be chatting with people that didn't know me, didn't know what I looked like. I could really like craft whatever I was saying to them based on what I want. I thought they would want to hear. Um, and so my first kind of step into dating unavailable men was that I was chatting and spending a lot of time talking to men online who were obviously unavailable. They were not like anywhere near me. A lot of the, I never, I met up with two of them and made it, you know, safely, you know, through my, none of my own, I met up with two of them, but I never really met any of them. So they were kind of just out in the ether and totally unavailable. But then when I got to college, I started to really, um, get interested in men that were dating other women, a lot of whom were my roommates. And then after college, I started to date a lot of men who were involved with other women that I didn't know. Um, And I kind of always just hoped, you know, in my 20s, um, my self-esteem was so low and I really overcompensated and it was related to a number of things, but the one I could really easily identify was my size. I was a size 16 and yeah. I had this really low self-esteem and I really felt like nobody wanted to date me or look at me or even talk to me. And so I <clears throat> overcompensated for that by the kind of becoming the cool girl that would like, mm. you know, while my, all my roommates were like getting ready, putting on their white eyeshadow and, you know, <laughs> squishing their skirts all the way down so that their thong popped out the back. You know, I was like, hanging out downstairs with their boyfriends, drinking beer and shooting the shit about football or sports or whatever, just to like try to fit in. And what what eventually happened is I started to realize I was actually just kind of hoping that eventually those guys, you know, fill in whatever dude bro name, John, Chad, Chris, Rick, whatever, would get tired of waiting for my roommate upstairs who was so high maintenance and would turn to me and say like, you're the low maintenance girl of my dreams. I actually really have a crush on you and I would win, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do know. And I, not only I can, girl, (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I started blogging I started my my career, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, writing one, just a typical one of your oversharey dating blogs, mm-hmm. and it was all about like just the shit I did with men because 
I don't know because I, I wanted to feel attractive. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what, why I did it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it had to do with my weight mm -hmm. and my size and writing on the internet, you know, this is 2005, six, seven ish. You know, people were pretty merciless. Like I was real, I was just constantly made fun of wow, yeah. for my body, mm -hmm. which was terrible, which just made me feel like I have to prove to everybody mm -hmm that I can get laid, that men find yes. me attractive. Oh my God. And yeah. And, and I, and I would do it and then write about it and not really aware that by writing about this stuff publicly, I was actually sabotaging my ability mm -hmm. to find a sort of healthy relationship. Sure. And I, I, I think on some level that was, um, I, I think that was, that was, uh, intentional mm -hmm. uh, on some level like I, I think at that point like I still had so much unresolved trauma and I still mm -hmm. really wasn't acknowledging that I I was emotionally unavailable mm -hmm. and that really was the core for yes. me that that was why I was going after unavailable yeah. men was because I was emotionally unavailable right that's a huge story. and I was oh I was gonna say yeah it's a it's, huge piece being un emotionally unavailable myself and I just wanted to kind of like um chime in to say that especially and then as you know, that I kind of had some similar behavior to, to what you're describing, which is that as I moved into my late twenties and early thirties, I found myself, I found myself pushing the, my own, pushing the boundaries of my own sexual comfort because I didn't feel entitled to just mm. be like, no, I don't want to sleep with you on the first date because I felt like I had to sleep with you on the first date because maybe because of my size or because I, you know, and like, and I will also say that all this was going on in like the 2000s and mid 2000s and 2010s for me. And like, we live in a culture that really has come a long way as far as body positivity is concerned. But like, that was not the message that I was getting when I was in my early 20s. In my early 20s, it was like, look, you got to be a double extra small and a double size zero. And if you are those things, then men will love you and you can do whatever you want. You can have whatever standards you want. You can be right. late, you can be demanding. But if you're bigger than that, you, you better just either get real kinky or um, like, put up with what you got there was years of that behavior that just did so much damage to my self-esteem and mm -hmm. to it, it really just made me mm -hmm. <laughs> just so so unavailable and it really soured me and it really kind of traumatized me to be honest like if I'm yeah. looking back on it now it was just a stream of going for men that mm -hmm. I knew were never going to want anything serious for me. And then because of my own attachment disorder at the time, um, I would go for men that, that I knew wouldn't want me. And then when they didn't want me, mm -hmm. it was devastating. You know, that anxious avoidant attachment style just really sort of reared its ugly head and it ruled me mm -hmm. for years. And rejection of any kind would trigger so much self-loathing and so much, it would trigger my depression. And this was before I really knew that I had depression. Well, and I think one of the things that's so interesting is that like, we don't know what we don't know. So for me, I also had the same thing where I would pur purposely, I had some abandonment stuff from my family life and I started to purposely date men 
whether, you know, it was probably subconsciously, I started to date men that were never fully available to me. And part of that kept me safe because I knew I never had to be fully available to them. I had to probably be available to them sexually. I had to probably be able to flirt a little bit with them, but I never would really have to put my shit on blast with them because they were already involved with someone else or they didn't live near me or they weren't emotionally available themselves. They were probably usually, you know, that third, that third category of um, emotionally unavailable for me the men I dated that were emotionally unavailable were usually alcoholics or drug addicts. So, you know, I was dating guys who either didn't live near me, who either weren't single or who were alcoholics and drug addicts. So in all, any of those categories, like I was never, nobody ever asked me to put my shit on blast. Nobody ever wanted me to get real. And so I never had to. And I didn't realize, I don't know if I realized what I was doing or not, but I started to tell myself this story of mm-hmm. like, look, I've seen sex in the city. I know what it means to be sexually empowered. I do what I want, you know, and and I don't and I don't have to apologize for it because it's not my fault if your man wants to fuck me on the side or whatever it is, right? And so I really got no, this kind of like entitled and um pretty childish actually concept going, you know, story around me, what I was doing in terms of my sexual empowerment. And so I thought like and so I really believed that for a while that this was good for me. And I will put a caveat in here. Listen, I am not here to police or really judge anyone's sexual conduct. Like do whatever you want to do as long as it's true for you and good for you and you like it. Right. And so I thought that I liked kind of fucking randos and fucking guys that had girlfriends. Like I really thought that I liked that. So how I ended up writing the book was that I had um, made an arrangement with this guy who was involved with a girl with a, a woman. And he and I had this arrangement where we would just get together and fuck. And we wouldn't go to movies or do dinner or anything. He would just call me. I'd go over to his house or he'd come to my house and we'd get down. And um, and I, and I it was perfectly aligned with this paradigm that I'd been telling myself about how empowered I was. And um, what happened was for a couple months, we did that. And it was super, I had a lot of fun. And then eventually he broke up with his girlfriend. And then maybe a month after that, he came to me and he said, Heidi, can we, do you think that we could like go to dinner and date, like go to dinner and get down? Or do you think we could like go to a movie and get down? And I looked at him and I said like, we could do that, Mm -hmm. but like that would be dating. And he turned to me and he was like, Heidi, I was clear from you that from, I was clear with you from the Mm -hmm. start. I don't want to date you. And it was like a kick in the stomach. I was so devastated when he said that. And Uh, shortly thereafter, I left his apartment and on my way down the stairs, I got in the car and I was crying. And I was like, I realized I'd been lying to myself about what was really good, what I thought was good for me and what was okay for me. And this kind of no strings attached sex thing was not actually what I wanted. If I was real honest with myself, I had always been hoping that he was going to break up with her and start dating me. And when I looked back on all the times I was involved with men who were involved with other women, it was always about winning. I was always hoping that I would do something to prove how great I was, whether that was pushing the boundaries sexually or, um, you know, being cool with whatever, or just being so cool, you know, that they would choose me over whoever they were with. For me, it was it was about needing to matter. I, I've spoken of this before. You know, I my mother died when I was mm-hmm. seven, and I my family really sort of exploded at that point. You know, my father Mm. was dealing with his grief and he was never around and my sisters were all very self-involved and they weren't Mm. around. And uh, so I never really felt like I mattered. And and this is why, like, when I see these dogs that seem to be neglected or aren't getting attention Mm. or nobody wants to take them for a walk, like, it's just whoosh. Mm -hmm. Like, 
it rips open. I wouldn't say it rips open a wound. Yeah, that hits you deep. It, it, you know what? It does, but I'm now, especially since my certification, the trauma certification, I know how to coach myself through it, thank God. For me, it was about not mattering and, and wanting to feel, not just feel, not just feel wanted, but the attention. I was not used to having a lot of attention. Now, to hear today, to have this woman say, I think you're wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I get choked up just thinking about it because I just wasn't raised with that. You know, I wasn't raised hearing good things about myself. And so for me, it was just about proving, well, it was uh, definitely about staying isolated and making sure I never really had a relationship or there was no real intimacy because it terrified me. And also just feeling, uh, just, just feeling less alone, just feeling loneliness is terrible and i think it really leads people to do it really it's a it's a it's a gateway to to self-loathing and and low self-esteem i think because people think people equate loneliness with like oh you must not be have a head of any friends or whatever so it was i had created this life for myself where um you know i had I, i had this column for 10 years i had this blog and i was Oversharing on this blog until, you know, I hadn't, I had something happen with a guy where he said in an email to me, and this is a guy with a girlfriend and for off and on for five years, he would, we would get together and he, and he said to me, um, I might think of you, but I most certainly wouldn't call you. And when I say that I felt like my chest had been split open and just the searing pain that I felt and that that was when that was the start that was the start of the healing believe it or not yeah well what I love about what you're what you're talking about is that like you and I don't have quite the same causes and conditions right we don't have quite the same stuff that causes Mm -hmm. us to have these patterns but that's the beautiful thing I talk about it in the book it's like I'm going to put all my shit on blast and tell you all about my stuff. Some of it might land for Mm -hmm. you and some of it might not, but I encourage you to find your own stuff. Like what is your own stuff that's causing what are, you know? And so like my behaviors may not be all the same behaviors that some other woman out there is experiencing or engaging in, but can she find the behaviors that she is engaging in that aren't actually true for her or aren't authentic to her anymore and that she wants to change. So it's like, I really love that our stories are really quite similar, but that, you know, they are very aligned, but that there is space among all of this to go like, okay, but what's actually, what is my deep trauma? What is my deep hurt? And how does that affect my patterns? And what are my patterns in light of knowing what these women's patterns were? You know, that was when I really started to, and and it was sort of that happened. And then a year later, my father, my stepmother and my sister died all within like a year. And my stepmother disinherited me and the rest of my sisters and we had this incredibly nasty probate case that went on and it was, it was just so damaging. And then I lost like my best friend who was also like a very codependent relationship. He was a guy. Um, and, and that was another one that he was completely unavailable. And I was, and I was very dependent on him. I don't know that I was in love with him, but I was very dependent on him and he was dependent on me and it was unhealthy and we're no longer in each other's lives and I'm better for it. But I just want to point out there for that is such a common thing. I really had to check my 
I had to check myself about guys that I was friends with because I continued in my lifetime. I don't want to digress from the rest of your, uh, what you're talking about, but it's just so important in my lifetime. I always felt like, Oh, I'm a guy's girl. I want to hang around guys. They're like so much less drama, which is not true. They're like just as much fucking drama. The reason I want to hang out with guys is because they have a dick and I like attention from men with dicks. And the thing that sucks is that those guys don't want to, they don't want to date me. And I end up being quote unquote friends with a guy and either I've got feelings for him or he's got feelings for me. And like inevitably one of us continues to come back to that Mm -hmm. and put ourselves in a position to be hurt by it, you know? So like today I have male acquaintances, but like I'm not friends with men because I've had too many of those experiences over my lifetime where like I told myself I was just friends with them, but that when I got real honest about it, it was that I had a crush on them and I was hoping that they, that I would win and that they'd like me back. So I took a, a elevate class at my gym today, and that's it's like you know getting up with high, 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 high on the on the incline in your treadmill. And the instructor is always talking about his love life and his dating and this and that. And he's very chatty with the women in the class. And so the woman next to me, he's telling her his dating mm-hmm. problems, and I don't know. I guess the woman he's dating did something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And the woman next to me went. I can't stand women like that. And I just pulled my earplugs out and I just looked at her (laughs) and I looked at him and I just went, I put them back in, (laughs) but I made like, I hate women like that. And I've done it. I've done that. You know, where I'm just going to be like, Oh dude, dude, bro. I totally, I totally get you. I understand you in a way. Most women, I'm the cool girl. I I'm, I'm better than other women. So, um, okay, so the blah, 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 death, trauma, whatever, that, that's, that was the process. That was the start of really acknowledging mm-hmm. why I'd been doing what I was doing and why I was going after unavailable men and why I was settling for sex and why I kept telling myself I was okay with that because on one level I was very okay with it. But another level I wasn't because of the anxious avoidant attachment style. And one day, and we talked about this the other day, and I'm, I'm hoping I can keep it together for this this time when I tell it. I don't know if I can. This is an incredible story. What really sort of did it for me, the, the, what really, I don't know, what really sort of pushed me in the right direction, I guess, or really showed me what I was doing was uh, I had a cat and I, his name was Moon and he, he was, I'd had him for almost 17 years. And over time, I, I would see that he was sort of slowing down and I knew I'm like, okay, you know, that time's coming, but like two days, whatever, a couple of days before my birthday, I noticed he was, he just wasn't himself. And then, you know, that night I woke up and he, he had to be carried. Like I had to carry him into my bed. He just didn't have the energy to get into my bed. So he gets into my bed and I'm, you know, I'm petting him and he turns to me and he looks up at me and I'm talking to him because I know in my gut, I know what's coming. I know it's, I can feel it. And I say to him, I am, I am not ready to lose you. I'm just not ready for this. And he lifts his paw up and he puts it on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like he was saying, you, you are, you are ready for this. So <clears throat> the next day, which was New Year's mm-hmm. Eve, or the day after that, New Year's Eve, my birthday, 
I walk into the bathroom and he's dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just a mess. And I write a, you know, post on Instagram and I post this picture. And a guy friend of mine emails me and he says, he tells me this story about the, the, the hero's journey or a hero's journey and how we have these sort of guides in our life that, oh, yeah. that, that are mm-hmm. by our sides and then leave us when they feel we're ready for the next stage. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I think Moon was that for you. Oh, I'm sure of it. That was the most devastating pain I think I've ever felt. I don't think I, I just being in that hospital and them telling me he died. I just collapsed. I just mm-hmm. collapsed. It was a, it was a feeling a pain. It was like it, yeah. it, it like I stopped being able to feel anything. I went numb. And that, I think, is what I had been avoiding my whole life. Yeah was feeling that you never wanted to see what it feel like to feel that kind of loss and then the universe was like you're gonna feel this loss anyway oh and then but then there's a it's such a crazy you know it's such a crazy juxtaposition because out of that tremendous amount of pain comes like this huge freedom eventually not you know not like in the moment but like in the same with you know the same Mm -hmm. with what my experience with this guy was that like I left his apartment devastated and I called a friend to say like I'm so done with this and she was like if you're really done I have some work that you can do around men and relationships and I agreed to do it because I was in devastating pain and what happened was on the other side of it I found a tremendous amount of freedom from the bondage of the attention seeking behavior of the you know lack of self-worth of all of this stuff that had been like keeping me down or holding me back my whole life you know and Mm. it's like once I experienced the true bottom that I had, I mean, I'm sure I could have gone bottomed out even lower if I needed to, but like I experienced a deep pain that I had kind of always been afraid of anyway. And then here it was in my lap, no matter, despite my best efforts to not attach to anyone or to not get too wound up in something that was no strings attached, I was feeling it anyway. Um, And then I got to be free of it after I did a little more work around it. Losing my cat started the process of, and the first one of the first things I did in in the in the few months later after he died is I took my column down. You know, I took down this thing that had been such an impediment to my to my love life and to my ability to connect with people because it was it was always standing yeah. in my way and I was hiding behind it. And, I, and it was part of my it had become my identity. You know, it was called and that's why you're single. That had become my identity. I'm like, I don't want that to be my identity anymore. Wow. What a powerful sense of agency to take that down and to choose differently to go like, I'm not doing, I mean, wow, that's a big deal. It was a big, it was a huge deal. Like it was a huge deal in a lot of ways, like especially financially (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because it was a big traffic driver to my company. And Uh I just said, no, I'm done. I can't do this. You know, I, I'm okay with answering questions. And I, now I answer questions on buffsandbrainiacs.com and on womenologypod.com. But the, there needed to be a rebrand. There just had to be a rebrand. So yeah. that was the process. And wow. slowly, as, the, as I started clearing up space, like I had to make space, right? You had to... to, to, to Enter into something with someone else to bring, let someone in your life. There has to be space. Yeah. And like, for me, I had to make some space to actually do the work that I had to do because I was so easily distracted 
you know, I was like kind of an attention whore, you know, anyone that would give me their attention, especially if you were a man, I was like, yeah, let's, let's do whatever you want to do. So I had to um, set some boundaries around the men in my life and how I interacted with them in order to create the space that I needed to create Mm. that I needed to do the work that would change my life and transform my perspective on the accessibility of love and intimacy. Yeah. And now, so then now tell us how you sort of have this guru, right? You go to this guru and she says, okay, you got to, you just said, clear out the men, tell them you're not going to be in contact with them. And you, you're thinking it's like 30 days and it's actually longer than that. Yeah. I was thinking like, yeah, okay. I'm going to do like a 30 day man detox, right? I can do, I can, I don't want to do this, but if it's going to make me not feel this devastated anymore, I'll do it. Right. So I was pretty like willing to do what she asked me to do. And the first thing she asked was like, look, you are so susceptible to the attention of men that I need you to not, I need you to commit to having no one-on-one communication with men throughout the course of this work you're going to do. So it's fine if you're hanging out in mixed company, but like, I can't have you DMing people and messaging and texting and calling men, mm-hmm. period. Not even gay men, not even, you know, like you need to stay away from the dick, no matter who's attached, you know? And I'm like, all right, all right. You know, and um, it was scary. I didn't, you know, I really actually discovered the true meaning of willingness when I was able to do that. Because so often I think of willingness, like when you want to do something, it's real easy to become willing mm-hmm. to do it. When you don't want to do something, that is like, and you do it anyway, because it's come from a trusted source as a suggestion, like that's willingness. Like, God, I was dragging my feet. I did not want to set these boundaries. And I did. And a lot of the men that I set them with totally respected them, which was like also totally surprising and like a whole another kind of rabbit hole to go down. Like, you know, the era being raised on rom-coms in the nineties, like I'm used to like, my my perception was if you set a boundary with someone and they don't trample it, then they don't love you. You know, like if every rom-com movie in the nineties is like, the girl's like, I don't like you. And the guy's like, I'm going to show you you are going to like me. And he shows up at her work with flowers and he wins over her friends and he goes to her sorority house and he does a dance. And like, and then he gets her out of a jam and then he wins over her family all while undermining her own judgment of his character. But like, that's what I thought men were supposed to do when I said, no, we're not doing this. And then all the men I said, no, we're not doing this. We're like, okay, bye. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) So now, okay. Now in your book, you include a lot of like worksheets and exercises yeah to help women identify these patterns and 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 break these patterns mm-hmm. uh so it's not just so it's, it's sort of like part memoir and part um self-help really yeah it's kind of like part memoir part how-to mm-hmm. you know um if you read the book on kindle the um the worksheets are available on my website um but What's yeah it, i mean i wanted people to have Give your website. Oh, it's uh, www.heidibcoaching.com. www, really? Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. I got nervous. HTTPS colon. Backslash, backslash, colon. Yeah. So it's and you can find, obviously there's a link to the book there. There's a link to my online course. So eventually I turned, I wrote about this work in the book and then eventually I turned it into a workshop that I provide in Portland in person. And then mm-hmm. I thought, you know, people who are not in Portland might also need this too. So I created an online workshop or an online yeah. course that's based on the workshop. So all that's on my website. Um, but yeah, I felt like it's important, um, you know, so much. I I never made it very far in the self-help. I have so many self-help books that just like hang out and gather dust. And then the first 
you know, I, I open it. I'm in a lot of pain. I buy the book. I open it. I read the first page. And then the second page says, okay, now do some writing. And I like throw the book in the fireplace. I never, yeah. you know, I just, I'm never really willing. I'm certainly not the first self-help book that's, that includes those exercises, but I would encourage anyone who, if you are going to take the time to buy the book, like see if you can commit to doing the exercises. <laughs> yeah. That's really where the work's going to start because it, it really, really you know, a lot of it is just identifying the patterns you know, making lists and identifying the patterns and identifying the triggers and what do all these relationships have in common. Now, for what I would then say to do mm-hmm. is to go back, literally go way back into your childhood and try and see if there's a connection between what you do now and what happened then. Yeah, I think that's a great kind of additive as I agree. I think that's a great suggestion. So, yeah. Um I'm going to link, put all this stuff in the show notes so that everyone knows how to follow you. What's your Instagram? Instagram is honeybee52. Honeybee52. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, any closing thoughts on your book and your process? Because we have a, we have a, hold on, because we have. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah. <laughs> we have a dating question. So do you have any final thoughts? No, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on the show and for giving me the space to uh, giving me your platform to share with you to talk about the book and about the experiences. And of course, I hope everyone runs out and grabs a copy. It is forthcoming on Audible, hopefully by the end of January. Um, So that might be one of the best ways to consume it because it'll be like me and me chatting in your ear. Um, but yeah, no, I am truly, truly grateful for the opportunity. And I'm so happy that the technology gods are smiling today. And I cannot wait to get to the dating questions. So Linda writes, I've been texting and emailing with this guy I met online for over two months. We attempted to meet a few times, but he canceled once and I had to cancel once due to personal obligations and being sick. He was away on work trip, work trips. Then I was away on vacation. During the whole time I've been dating other people, the fun banter we had over text was entertaining and I was intrigued enough to keep talking to him on and off and admittedly was very attracted to his pictures, but felt in my gut he was on an, he was an online time waster. I kept talking to him because I was bored during dating droughts and thought he was cute and funny, so texted him back. Probably a bad idea looking back. Uh, da, 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 da. About a week ago, we actually met in person for the first time and the date went really well. Now we're trying to plan a second date. And when he asked me to come to his place to cook me dinner, I told him I wasn't comfortable going to his place so soon, but would like to see him again. We could meet somewhere in the city. He got offended, saying I was assuming things about him that weren't true and didn't understand why I wasn't comfortable with him yet after texting for months. He said he couldn't believe all those conversations meant nothing to me. He said he thought I was projecting onto him baggage from other guys and that going to his apartment does not automatically mean we have to have sex. Jesus Christ, that escalated quickly. (laughs) Texting to me means nothing. Anything that comes before the first date doesn't really count. And it's not like we texted about those intimate details about ourselves and our lives. It was mostly joking, talking about what we were doing and trying to make plans. Am I being crazy thinking texting for months without meeting in person means nothing? I feel like he's trying to manipulate me to get what he wants, trying to make me feel guilty for not being comfortable enough with him to go to his place on the second date. If he's really interested, it wouldn't matter where we met on the second date. I would think he would just want to see me again, regardless of the location. Okay, first of all, girl, Linda, you already know. Trust your gut. Your gut is saying that this guy's bad news. Trust it. I have two things. 
first of all, I want to say the that she talks about the online time waster, and that is like a real thing. So women, if you are out there and you start talking to an online time waster and you're serious about getting in a relationship, I want to remind you, time is your most valuable asset. Don't waste your time with guys who are not interested in going out on a date after like a week or, you know, a couple of days of texting. I'm not here for this. These guys that want to text you for months and then like get together whenever they want to, because first of all, it's rude. And second of all, I think it's like cheater behavior. He wants her to come over to his place and he'll make dinner, which is like, dude, just, you, you just want to fuck me. That's fine. It's fine. It's whatever. Like, look, and I don't expect men to be honest. And, and this is why I can't say when, when, when women say, why can't men just be honest? Or why can't people just be honest? I'm picking up. Right. Because if he's honest, he's going to say, can you come over so we can have sex? And then maybe we'll have dinner afterwards, which would be off-putting. Right. <laughs> Honestly, doesn't get us what we want, number one. Uh, and number two, um, I don't You know what? There is no number two. It doesn't get us what we want. And scene, thank you for coming. <laughs> Um, thank you for talk for coming to my TED talk. Uh, so that's why people lie. People lie because it helps them get what they want. And again, you so agree with the two months of texting. Who has that time kind of time? First of all, but second of all, we just talked earlier about clearing space. Mm -mm. This is oh, is taking up space. It's taking up your time. It's taking up your your thoughts. It's I, am I getting? Oh, I'm getting snaps like in Legally Blonde. Mm. Snapping. <laughs> I'm snapping over here, girl. You are preach because, oh my God, it's like the the universe cannot bring you what is in store for you when you are filling your space with this fucking loser. And l let me let's be clear: if somebody really was interested in meeting you, it wouldn't have taken them two months. Again, what you said. This guy had other shit going on. He was just in a drought. He was just having like a dry spell. It was, you know, slow for him. And, but yeah, the that's... real sign <laughs> that this guy is absolutely full of shit yeah. is when she said, all, all she says is, you know, I'm not really comfortable with that. Um, maybe, you know, let's go out somewhere, but I'd love to see meet up somewhere else in the city. And it's like this avalanche of, look at me, I'm projecting. It's, it's this avalanche of uh, j just really abuse. <laughs> yeah, look, if his intentions were pure and good, he would have heard her say that and then said, oh my God, I'm so sorry if that's what I implied. Absolutely, let's go. You know, I'm so sorry if that's what you heard or if it came across that way. Let's just go to dinner out in the city. You know, like it would be an apology for the tremendous yeah. miscommunication instead of a defensive blowback because she hit the nail on the head and he's immature and can't find you know what I mean and, and 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 so I just feel like I can imagine a world in which this miscommunication happens where he says oh why don't you come over for dinner and she says oh I don't want to get physical and then he and then a grown-ass mature man will yeah. say oh my gosh certainly not what I was implying I'm so sorry you misunderstood I can certainly see how that would happen but let's go to this let's do whatever you want to do instead yeah I they, they'd say oh I you know what I totally understand right let's just meet up somewhere else so yeah. Linda Pearl get rid of him ditch him yeah, i'm sorry i hope this didn't come across as too aggressive because i get i mean i get passionate about it because i've been there you know so i hope it didn't come across too aggressive but i just there's something better for you out there and you can't receive it until you let this guy go right and no you're not being crazy thinking texting for months without meeting in person means nothing 
No, you're not. See, and this is the thing. This is where the false sense of intimacy comes in, you know, and this is really where scammers and abusers, this is a classic move and it's it to, is. it's to groom you. They are grooming you to make you feel like there's, there's an intimacy there that isn't really there. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to make you, they're, they're lulling you into a false sense of comfort. And then the minute, the minute she doesn't give this guy what he wants, holy Jesus Christ. Explosive. He just unloaded, he's explosive. That's the, a great word. It's explosive. So no, Linda, you're not crazy at all. This guy's unhinged. And yeah. you said, I feel like he's trying to manipulate me to get what he wants. Linda, girl. Oh, I wish I had the nailed it sign, but I don't. So I'm just going to do this. <laughs> Linda. You are right. You are right. Well done. You know, you know exactly what's going on. Yeah, get get rid of this guy. I gotta set this guy down. Oh, that was fun. That was fun. Um, <laughs> so, Heidi, tell everybody, give it people your information again. Sure. You can find me. I spend most of my time on Instagram. On Instagram, I'm at honeybee52, and it's just the letter B not the, like the insect. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can find me online on my website, Heidi B coaching.com. And on that, yeah. <laughs> see, I dropped the W. -W, -W. You did. I mean, I'm kind of on the cusp of being a boomer given all my technology <laughs> stuff and that, um, and let's see, when you're on my website, you can find um, access to the online course. You can find access to the book. You can find access to the worksheets. Um, I have a free guided meditation that I'm giving out or that I'm currently delivering to anyone who subscribes to my email list put together to help you identify three blocks to a healthy relationship in 2020. Um, it's like seven minutes long. It's really good. In the middle of it, a fly flies across my nose. So I get like, a, you know, anyway, it's great. Um, I'm just so I'm truly I'm blown away. This was so much fun to do tonight. Thank you so much for um, calling me, you know, letting me call in and, and sharing your platform with me. It's um I'm humbled. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad. I, I just knew it would be a good fit. Guys, follow us on things, on the things. Womenology Pod. Go to the website, join the mailing list, womenologypod.com. Send us letters. <laughs> <laughs>